It's the holiday season TX Water Polo Podcast. Joe Linehan in San Antonio. Me, James Smith in Austin. And uh, it's uh, Christmas week. Joe, how are you doing? I'm good. I can't believe you're, yeah, you're using Christmas music for our introduction. Why, why do you believe that? This is the high production standards of the show. <laughs> like very, very high production standards. Actually, you probably didn't listen, I think, to the last one. Uh, the last When we did our New Year's one, then I ended it with a song about New Year's by... Uh, death cab for cutie so you know i, I like to throw a little uh, music in there i'm sure sh- I, I throw in music that i i like and so i know that if there are any listeners there who are under the age of 40 they're they think about what well, just a bunch of old music so boring and dull but what are you going to do it's my podcast and your podcast so there you go it's all good i like the christmas music so. <clears throat> yeah i love that stuff gosh man it is so i mean my daughter is so just in, adores this time of year, and so it's so much fun to watch her go crazy about that stuff. It's really great. My wife adores this, yeah, this time of year. She loves the whole Christmas season too. Yeah. So we're about to get busy with a bunch of family stuff here. So yeah, how many people are are they coming to your place, or you got to go somewhere else? Uh, we're doing to her, like to her parents, to my parents. Oh my god! Or to like people are coming to our place. Yeah, we're going to her sister's. It's all over the place. All right. Do you open? Okay. Yeah. It's all good. This is we are so we live in San Antonio, and this is where all of our family lives now. So. There you go. That makes a difference. My parents are in Georgetown. We go up there for Christmas Eve dinner. They they come down to our house in Austin for Christmas Day. Um, we have a really small family. Like my parents are both only children. My my sister doesn't have any kids. You know, so it's very, so my daughter, Kenna, is the, the, the focus of everything. And she is your, well, now she's 16, but even when she was younger, she did not get up early. So it was kind of great. You know, you were thinking like, oh, we're, we're going to have to open up presents at 5.30 a.m. But no, no, she, she really liked to sleep in. That's her nature. So it's, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I got to start brining a turkey later this afternoon, by the way. Yeah, this is, is going to be the first time that we're actually going to, Wake up in our own house on Christmas Day. Closing on Monday. Joe's got a new house. Oh yeah, that's not what I was trying to get to, but yeah, yeah, but, but that's what you got going. We to. are, we are, we are closing, and we'll and we'll be moving in in January. So it's gonna be fun. In time for Christmas 2021, if we you know if we survive. Yeah, cool. Uh, news. All right, it's the end of the year. Next week we'll uh, we'll probably wrap things up, you know, in a New Year's fashion. We'll just do best stories of the year. And what, gee, I wonder what the number one story is going to be. Um, so we'll talk about that next week. Um, we're hoping to get Tony Azevedo on as an interview today um, or tomorrow. Uh, he and well, I, he wasn't in town, but he sent people to this uh, clinic. No, and- I believe Tony was there. He was there. All right, yeah. I didn't know that. I, I was. I got an email from them saying like, "Here, are the following coaches are coming to Dallas," and he was not listed. So that that that's a that was why I was had that impression. I guess I was wrong. I did not make it up, but I heard it went great, and they had a camp, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, but you have a but you have an ODP camp that you sent out some yeah. information. On. Did you see that by the way? You got that yeah. email? Okay, good. I did. You asked me to get on that list, and so you're on the list. Um, we finalized. <laughs> I should say we almost finalized. We have like one outstanding document, which uh, the hosts are okay with. But we've uh, nailed down a couple dates for clinics in uh, January on ninth, on the ninth and tenth. I'm actually, I'd be really curious to talk to USA Water Polo today about whether we're sold out already. I would not be surprised. Um, Saturday night, both of these are at the Sci Fair and Auditorium. 
in Houston, which is a really good facility and one that's treated us quite nicely over the years. So we were going to separate into two different four-hour clinics, one on Saturday afternoon, evening. That is only for development athletes. That's both boys and girls, but development athletes. That's uh, 2009, 8, and 7. And then the following morning, this, by the way, this, this model is exactly what we did in Round Rock uh, in, way back in September. Um, so Sunday is all youth, all stars, um, cadets uh, at I think 8.45. So it, 9 to 2, essentially. So very good news. Very good yeah, news. Yeah. It, yeah Registration it like is open. I'm just very happy. And hopefully we get another one sometime in, yeah, in February somewhere. I know. You and I have to decide on that. That's funny. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, so that's that's good news. Um, obviously, like you just said, hopefully something else in, in February. The program is going to be just quite different this season. Um, the season is going to be what I would call longer. I mean, it's entirely possible that we have something Memorial Day that's uh, yet to be determined. But that's how much time we have to add more clinics if we can find facilities that are willing to do it and if there's enough dam- demand, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we will ch- – and – Given the numbers that came to Louisville, it, it was uh, it, it, actually there. Like I said, there was just too many. It was uh, it was too much. So Coach Chris Cullen and I decided that we're going to trim the number that are that are uh, allowed at Cy Fair to seventy five each. Um, and so that that's something that we'll take into account as we hopefully plan for for more of these clinics as the year continues. Yeah. So if you haven't tried to sign up, yeah, just try to go sign up. Go to the ODP uh, website and kind of register. As you can. Yeah, you can find um, the. I, I wrote a, you know, put it to a piece on the website, which is odpswz.wordpress.com. So you can find it there, but you can also just find it at the USA Water Polo website, which you're all familiar with. So maybe enough of that. Uh, Mavericks Winterfest, speaking of people hosting tournaments, that's you. Uh, Mavericks Winterfest is, up, is on the calendar. What can you tell us about what's going on with that? Yeah, so we, so. Some coaches and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about possibly doing a tournament, and then we started looking at some weekends. I mean, the, a tournament specifically for the older kids because we knew the Dare to Dream was coming down the pipe, right? Yes. So, um, and it's just you look at the calendar, and it's chock full of like high school championship swim meets swim between meets. now and the end of like kind of kind of February, um, and not to mention club swim meets and stuff like that. So, um. You know, we were looking at like the last couple of weeks of January are the districts. The first the first weekend of kind of February is regions. And then the last two weeks of February are the state championships. And then you go right into the high school water polo season. So there's not a whole lot of weekends that we have available to do a club tournament for the older kids. So, you know, we were kind of just thrown around like like the idea. And, and then last week, um, which we moved the Dare to Dream from North Texas down to yeah, yeah, down, yeah, down to Houston, which opened up an opportunity to maybe host something up in North Texas. Right. Um, I, I decided to just try to see who, because like, a lot of teams out there say they want to go play. They want to play more and more and more. That is Texas club teams, not outside of Texas. Yeah, which we could talk about that separately, but yeah. But, um, but like, you know, so it's, so I said, okay, well, let's put this together and kind of see who kind of signs up. Um, we're, we are recording this on Wednesday, the 23rd. And today is actually the registration deadline. Yeah, for all teams, and we have a ton of teams that have that have expressed kind of the interest to play, but they but they need to register, and we're not we're only going to be able to have the tournament if we actually have enough clubs that actually register their teams. 
because it has to be we can't lose money off of it you know? yeah so because this is a brand new club that's kind of that is started that is going to be running the tournament we have to make sure that they don't lose money yeah and um and you know and and hopefully we get a few teams uh, a couple teams from Austin, a couple teams from the Houston area, and I'm and then I'm and then I'm hoping that uh, most of the North Texas teams kind of step up and do it. But that'll be on January second and third, and that's for eighteen under boys, eighteen under girls. We also have a fourteen and under mixed division as well, just to try to get as many teams there as possible. Right. And we'll see what happens. So, coaches, you're going to get a text from Joe today, so you get ready for it. Well, this, they've already gotten the exactly. email last week. They got the reminder. Over the weekend, yeah. they'll get a uh, they'll get a final runner today. Yes. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, this, um, this ain't coming out until tomorrow at the earliest Thursday. But uh, so it'll be past tense. But just figure, you know, today you're going to get a text or something from Joe. Yeah, and I mean, and it's just again, it's an opportunity to play. And I actually got and and amazingly that this is a short notice, and I, I was not expecting teams from out like from outside of the state to want to come. Right. But I've gotten some people that have asked about it. So, you know, it's just, it's tough to find a weekend, you know, like you already talked about January 9th and 10th is the ODP weekend. The the January 16th to 17th is we're doing the dare to dream. Um, yeah. I think another club could, could host a, um, a, like an older kid tournament, but that might be tough for the clubs to go to both dare to dream and that. And plus, I don't know if there's a whole lot of pools that are available that weekend. Cause I tried to find them for the dare to dream and there weren't a whole lot kind of available. There's a lot of swimmies going on that weekend. Then you just run right into the, in, in all the other stuff. So, and we're and I think I've talked to some people and some coaches about possibly hosting on the weekend of February 13th, 14th. So, yeah, like me, yeah, exactly. yeah. And we're hoping to do a tournament or tournaments, even even if we have to do multiple ones that weekend in Texas. Yeah. So that'll be probably um, hopefully we can get something situated for that here at the at like after the first of the year. So. So Dare to Dream is in Sci Fair. Like it was originally scheduled for North Texas. Is that right? That is correct. We yeah. were actually going to do it on January twenty third, twenty fourth, at the Louisville East Side Aquatic Center. There you go. And that was the week after MLK. But that is a tournament that has always been on MLK weekend, and we wanted to keep it on MLK. Yeah, weekend. Yes. I and I tried for two months to to try to find a pool that was going to allow us to compete that was available and didn't have a swim meet. Right. It was very, and I could not find a pool that allowed that. And um, and then finally, I got I got a call from our friend Chris Jones down at the Cypher kind of ISD Natatorium. This was last what a week ago Tuesday. It was during and, our uh, conversation. Yeah, yes, it was. And um, and they and he basically said, "Hey, I I I just swimming canceled. Do you want to do this?" I go, "Yes." <laughs> but then I had to make a like we had to make a, some phone calls and dot the eyes and cross the t's to make it happen. Then I got the I got the like the info out to everybody uh, like a week ago Wednesday. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's why it was a slight change of date and um, and location, which is great. I think that tournament it, it's always been this is the third year we're yeah we're having it. It's always been in um in Houston. I want to keep it in Houston. I really want to help like you know to yeah to have that tournament. Like it's always nice to have that kind of like like an anchor tournament that's in one lo- that is in one location at least in one city, in one region, always. So 12 and unders and 10 and unders, right? Is that it's all? Gonna be, it's going to be 12 and under mixed, um, and then 12 and under girls, and then uh, and then 10 and under mixed as well. And it's going to be August 1, 2020. Oh, okay. Right. Wow. Yeah. And well, that's sort of the last one, right? That, that goes back yeah, to... That's yeah. the last one. I mean, I know a lot of teams have had some issues as far as, you know, kind of recruiting kids during, during, during 2020, which yeah. we'll talk about uh, next week. 
Um, but like, you know, we just wanted to be able to have as many athletes eligible to play, which means uh, more teams to play as right. possible. But we are going to be limited to about 20, uh, around, around 20 teams. Right. So, so please, please make sure you guys sign up. And that's January 16th and 17th. The registration deadline for that is January 8th. And the 10 and under um, mixed and 12U girls are going to be five on five. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love so that. So that'll be four field players and a goalie. Um, and then the 10U is going to use a shorter course. Cool. And we're going to have a special course just for them. Right. So, And then it goes done. on at the same time. I mean, Dare to Dream is also a tournament or two tournaments, really, in California, right? Is it the same weekend? Um, there's not one in California this year. Yeah. Last year um, there was, right? And it was it. I can't remember if it was the same yeah. weekend. Normally, yeah. I mean... The goal is to eventually have the Dare to Dreams all around the country, right. you know, just to have like, you know, three, four, five of them and people can choose kind of kind of which one they want to go to. Um, but like ours is slightly different than the one in California because we use we we have we've historically used August one of the previous year mm. as opposed to August one of the current year. Of the year. Right. Got so it. Um, and um, and we also have a 12 and under division when the one out in California only has a 10 and under division. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then um, and then there's going to be one that same weekend in in this upcoming january in florida that's going to be a sunday monday event though this is a bit of a segue but it's a, it's parallel to what we've been talking about it's it is incredible how much i've heard from people including about how many teams from i'm from, rumors that teams from california are actually looking for pool space in texas to just come and train for weeks at a time like i it is it is stunning. Um, Mark St. John, who's based in in, uh, in Las Vegas, is hosting a series of tournaments in Utah, and apparently there are almost entirely California teams that are coming. Yeah, which is so might, desperate. And there might be some issues there now because of the restrictions that right. California placed on right. their people. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, hey, if people can travel, great. Um, but you know, we're gonna have these events, and if people can come, great. If if people can't come, then we won't have the events. But, you know, I mean, it's this, this is 2020, 2021 school year or just 2020 in general. There's logistical issues. There's issues up and down the line. What we're trying to do is I know I've heard from people about why are you putting on tournaments? Like, well, we're putting on tournaments just for those people that want to play or that can play. And, you know, and, and I think there's a ton of people that want to play that they just can't play. Um, and, you know, we hope that it works out. And, um, you know, and, uh, and so far, I think that all the tournaments from the Central Texas Festival to the Texas Challenge Cup to Tags and Cowtown, they've all been very successful events. So. I would say it's more than just hoping. Like the, the tournaments that are being held are being held under the rules that are governed by whatever the local entity that manages it are. So the, the, you asked a sort of rhetorical question, why are you hosting tournaments? Because we can and uh, because there are entities that are going to allow it. And, and you can even see variation in the way that uh, everything's being dealt with across the state. North Texas is, I would argue, North Texas is the most active. My area of central Texas is a slightly less. And then Houston has been, I would say, trailing behind, not in a bad way, but they have their own decisions to make. Um, but the, these tournaments have apparently gone off without a hitch. I haven't heard anything anecdotally or otherwise about anybody picking up uh, any of you know, having problems based on any of these competitions. It's not to say they haven't happened. Um, but so far, I think we I think in general, the state has done a good job of managing this pandemic uh, on the pool deck. I think it's done pretty good. Yeah, just uh, knock on wood that we can keep 
kind of kind of doing that moving forward. So. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the another import from California was Tony Osvedo's clinic that took place at Pegasus, right? Pegasus. What, which pool? Are, I don't remember it, what pool they went. It took to. place at the SMU pool. They did. Okay, so that's a nice facility. I didn't. Re- okay, that's good. Um, and then there, are, I think you and I were talking about last week, and I said it was basically a training clinic, but uh, I misunderstood. It's basically an invitational, right? Like the top sixty-eight players from uh, or so-called. There top was a combination 68. of things that were going on the last. Right. Yeah, the last three or four days. There were, I believe, about 68 players from around the country that were invited to come here as a bit of a college-type showcase. And they uh, they got skill work, and then they played a lot of games, a lot of games. And then the games were filmed, and the links were sent out to all the uh, college coaches out there. Right. So it allowed the college coaches that can't really go out and recruit to watch kids. Right. Play. And um, so that was one aspect of it. They also had a and that and that was more for like you know. And that was boys and girls, and that and yeah, and that was that was for high school kids. Right. And then there was a fourteen and and under camp that also happened as well. I, I and I think that was two or three hours, kind of uh, once a day. Um, and then there was another kind of a camp for the like non-invited uh, kids to come and play for like you know kids from around Texas and stuff mm. like that. Okay. There, um, there were kids from Texas in the top sixty-eight. Yes. Just that it's um. Like they like they had camps, so they try to fill that water as much as possible. No kidding, it's great. I mean, there's a ton of water. There's a there's a ton of good. The positive that I get out of it is SMU is allowing contact, yes. scrimmaging. Yeah. So now you I'm know jealous. Spencer, yeah, whether he likes it or not, is going to get a call from me and say, "Hey, when can you guys go, <laughs> so what can we do a tournament?" So, uh, oh, this but, is a good yeah, point. I mean, yeah. No, but and then you know, I, I'm just excited that stuff's that yeah, that stuff's happening and. You know, and granted, all these pools that are having tournaments, they're, they're also having swim meets. Right. You know, they're also having this and that. And, you know, it's not just the just water pool stuff out there, but, you know, and there's not, and there's a lot of pools that aren't open to anything, nothing. Yes. Okay. So we're trying to fit as much in at, at, like, like at these facilities as, as possible, you know, but we have to work around the high school swimming, not like the high school uh, like, or the clubs, like the club schedule for swimming and you know we're going to try to get as much done as possible so. yeah well we'll help we're going to hopefully follow up with tony himself um he's been pretty eager to talk with us i think uh, before so he his uh, program is widely in use and it obviously is a very popular product um the the company 68 sports and they came here to and you know they utilized a lot of the techniques and data-driven stuff that they that they uh, rely upon for the clinic this last weekend so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to him about that and a lot more he's a very opinionated guy so he i'm sure that he has a lot of opinions about not only texas but about what water polo is like in the states and uh, throughout the entire country so hopefully we will return with that in uh, one moment if we're not we're just going to come back and say goodbye All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. This is Max Irving from the U.S. Men's Senior National Team. And to get all things Texas water polo, I'm listening to the TX Water Polo Podcast. 
Normally at this point, I would do some sort of introduction to make sure that people know what this person has accomplished, what their role in water polo it is, is. But seriously, if you don't know who Tony Azevedo is, then you are not a fan of American water polo, whether you're in Texas or otherwise. So we have a chance to speak with him today. He was in Texas last week. So thanks for uh, joining us, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me. You, and you have your own podcast, so you could have just said, no, come on my podcast, you know, and then we'll have <laughs> dueling podcasts. So, um, so give us an outline of, of uh, you have, there was a big, I call it a clinic, you could have, uh, there's probably another term for it, but you were in Dallas at SMU over the past weekend, there are 68 athletes, I believe, that came from all over the country. Give us the outline of what that specific clinic was for, and then basically, what are your aims in general? Yeah. Ironically, we had six, eight, 68 athletes. <laughs> oh, that was not intentional. That was not intentional. How funny. No one believes it. Um, <laughs> but look, you know, I, you know, Adam and I started this, this, this clinic, which was meant to be like our junior team days, our Olympic days where you broke down video after every game and kind of, you know, help these kids understand, but then COVID hit, you know, uh, uh, the dead period hit. So it became no Adam, no Colorado Springs. And uh, Pegasus with Leslie and Spencer gave us that pool and we decided, you know, what, what, what's needed. I, I think it's been it, the fun thing about being in my position and, and is we kind of just are always on the outside. We're trying to figure out, you know, what the sport needs and we go out and try to do it. And what we realize is these kids need water polo. They need what they love, that what they are born to do. And there's been nothing for them. So we created a clinic where they went through the challenge. We ranked the teams based off the challenge. And then they basically played five games. Um, most of which were very close. The women's semis went into overtime one and one was a last second goal. Um, and, you know, we had all the college coaches watching. So it was, it was super exciting for them. What was the challenge? Tell us a little bit about what that means before they start playing games. So the challenge is that we created basically a water polo combine. Right. And we have over 9,000 athletes that have gone through it. And the idea is to understand where your, where your level is, right. You see it all the time where a parent or a kid wants their, wants to be great, but you know, it's, it's dependent on, on their coach, on where they are. While this is a way where you, no matter where you are in the world, you can see, Hey, wow, I'm good here. I'm not here. This is what I need to work on. And then we give, give you hundreds actually of videos on our app that can help you get, you know, improve in that area. And so we did the challenge and we got a ranking one through um, 68. And then we divided the teams up equally that way. What's the inspiration for that? And this, and, and what I mean is this is something, um, you know, I'm, I'm 15 years older than you or something like that. I mean, this was unthinkable back in the day that you would do things that were sort of like you said, I think the comparison is right. Sort of like football combine, you know, measurable things that, uh, that you could do in the pool. So how did it all come about for you? Because there's other people who've done similar stuff, but I don't know whether the, that they've been inspirational to you or not. No, for sure. You know, as Yugoslavia back when it was Yugoslavia used to, they did, they started they did. one okay. and it was really successful. And then one guy stole all the data and disappeared. <laughs> It, it was one big book and it, it's like a, it's like a running joke that still no one knows where that, that book is. Um, and people, you know, people have done it little by little. Ryan Bailey, actually one of my, you know, four time Olympian, one of my good friends, he was actually the one that has, he came up with it his whole life. He's like, you know, we should be doing a combine. 
Um, and then when I retired and I traveled around the world, I realized like all his joking aside, that's what needs to be done because it's one thing to, um, you know, to, to, to say, okay, Hey, these guys, this guy's been really strong, this and that, but what's happening is these kids really aren't getting a good understanding as to simple water polo fundamentals that they don't have and they need to improve on. And it inspires them a little more. All of us, all coaches teach these boring fundamentals. You have to, it's a part of the sport, right? Um, But kids don't get it. They don't get the, the, the importance of it. And by going through the challenge and seeing themselves ranked by age group with thousands of other athletes and seeing what the global ranking is and seeing what the best in their own age group is all of a sudden you see this fire in them. Oh, that, that boring drill. Wow. That's really important. I'm going to do it over and over and over again, you know? So that was kind of, that was kind of the, after traveling, I realized we, we, we need a way to inspire these kids because I'd get a kid, a junior in high school had come to one of my camps talking about wants to go play in college, but the kid can't egg beat or the kid has never, he can't go over his hips or a kid doesn't hold the ball correctly. And it's like, if you can't do that, I feel so bad for you because you have heart, you're huge, your size and everything, but a college coach is not going to waste, <laughs> you know, a scholarship or waste a spot on a kid who can't egg beat. Right. Let alone the Olympic team or a European club team or something like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so this is something that you've picked up. And, and I recall Nikola Malazanov did this in Pittsburgh, I think, for a few years in the back, early 2000s or, two, or early 2010s. So I did not know that this was, it's not a surprise, but I did not know that it was a Yugoslavian thing and that, the, you know, basically somebody stole all of the information. So it, that's where it proliferated from. And you spent how much time uh, in the Balkans? You were at KOTOR and any other, and where else? Yeah, so I, I spent two years in Montenegro at KOTOR, yeah. uh, wonderful two years. And I spent three years at Yug, Yug. Uh, Croatia. Mm-hmm. Um, so five years I spent in the Balkans. And I mean, you, 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 people wonder why, you know, you, you look in the U.S., apparently we have 80,000 people playing water polo. And I would say 100 of those I would consider good, <laughs> right? Like elite <laughs> water polo players. While you go to, you go to, you know, you go to Croatia and you probably have 2000 water polo players. And I'd say 90% of those are good, right? right? They right. know the sport. And it just, I saw it as a, as, as a player, I'd show up and the young team would be there and they'd be going through the motions and they'd understand how to go over their hips and they'd understand how to fake and they understand they're doing this out of the water. And then they're watching water polo. And so it's just an easy transition. So uh, the last podcast that you did, you invited your mom on there. So we're not going to talk about that one so much because that's a pretty, that's pretty fun. But um, the one prior to that was about Florida and because you'd taken a trip to Florida and then not too long ago, you were also in Connecticut. Um, is the pandemic driving the outreach or was this the plan all along to get, you know, to basically to get out of our home state of California? Well, this is, this has actually been my plan since the moment I retired was, do more outside of California than in because California gets it all right. They have, these kids are exposed to, yeah, we, we talked about it before the podcast, you go to Newport, you know, there's three Olympian women on, that are coaching. You go to SoCal, it's the same. Like these kids are exposed so, so often, but it's the NorCal, it's the Texas, it's the Florida. I've done the camp in every Thanksgiving for the last three years in Florida. 
So that's always been something on the schedule. Texas, I've gone every year for the last four years, worked with Pegasus. Um, Chicago is another one. Connecticut, we partnered with CT Premier over there with Scotty, Scott Schulte. And again, this is like, I go to a camp. I see this kid who is ridiculously talented, Jack Merrill. Um, immediately invite him to this, the, the, you know, the Dallas invite, he turns out to be one of the best players at the, at the whole event wins the, wins the gold medal has three or four goals in that gold medal. And that's a kid I'm calling Stanford and I'm calling Harvard. I'm on the phone with these guys going, this is a kid that you guys gotta know, right? <laughs> it shouldn't be. And, and you see it a lot, right? Where a lot of times a kid outside don't get the same, respect you you look at a kid leo ohanesian right i i think he is absolutely phenomenal and you look at it and, and, and then you compare well you know this guy's just as good he's from newport or he's from cdm or he's from harvard west like yeah that means he's been playing the best water polo in the country for his whole life compared to leo who has been in texas and has been doing it on his own you know what his ceiling is that kid can be is going to be amazing. He will be. He was the leader in our in our water polo combine, right? The six A challenge. He was the second overall plus or minus at the tournament. I mean, I think he is. I think he's going to Santa Barbara. I hope so. But he's going to be one in two to three years. We're going to go back to this podcast and go, wow, yeah, he is one of the best. He's the best player in college. I, uh, I'm going to take credit for that. Cause he's one of my ODP guys. So it's all me, like all me. That's what, no, he's a, he's a great, and he's a good young man too. So I'm, I'm uh, glad to hear that he's slated for that. Um, we talked a little bit about how this is, this is essentially, if you look at it from a distance, it's a data driven process. You're taking statistical uh, metrics for these drills or whatever you want to call them. Right. And uh, however, you're also talking about how I would say it's a little bit of artistry to recruit players, to understand that it's not just how fast they get from this buoy to that buoy, but attitude of understanding of the game, clearly experience and so on. Um, how does your what, what you're doing mesh with like let's say somebody like uh, uh, James Graham is doing is very quantitative as well is that is it parallel does it mesh or does it not uh, work at all really no so you know look James is in a different boat right James is trying to win games that's that's what he cares about right so he's he's evolving in his process of how many ejections and, and figuring out if if never getting an ejection works or not that's it. That's the essence of, of UOP, right? Don't take the ejection and, and uh, those numbers prove to work compared to we are in the business of developing players. That's, that's what we've always been about, right? Like I don't have a team. I never want to have a team. I want to be able to inspire everyone in the world and, and develop these children. And the way to do that is to help them understand. And in this modern era, it's numbers, <laughs> right? It's, Hey, Here's where you stand and here's where you need to be. Okay, that's easy. I mean, as a parent, having two kids, my son, seven, if he gets a, a, you know, a C in math, it's very easy to me. I understand, okay, but I, we have to work as parents and, and maybe a tutor to get him to work more on math. But in the sport world, there's nothing. There's nothing for the kids. My kid is good. How do you know? How do you know your kid's good? He's in Austin, Texas, and he's the best player. How good is he? Is he good? I don't know. Well, let's see where he compares with everyone else. 
oh dear, he's not that good. <laughs> he needs to get better. Or maybe, you know, you get a guy like Leo or Jackson Benners from Texas, good examples. Is he good? I think he is, but he's just dominating out here in Texas. Let's do the challenge. Oh, actually, Jackson is number two overall as a sophomore in high school in the med ball legs, which is a phenomenal, right? Out of 9,000 athletes, a sophomore kid has legs like that, like a beast. And Leo in the, in the sprint, right? So actually, yeah, you're right. It's validating them. They are good. A lot of data, which is uh, really important. I'm sure you're aware of somebody like your old coach, or well, Stanford's old coach, Dante Dedamonte, who has been critical of, uh, of the things that James Graham is doing. I, re- I understand completely what you're saying is that yours is more uh, player driven rather than team driven. Have you gotten feedback from people saying like, look, this is not really the way to go. Like it's more artistry than it is uh, numbers. Well, okay. First off, there's, there's a challenge, which is obviously not going to tell you who the best player is, right? It's, it's telling you potential talent, weaknesses, strengths, and that's the idea. Then there's our plus or minus system that we created where after a game, you, we value earned ejections, blocks, steals, a lot more. And and then mix that with shots, goal, shot percentage goals, and all of that and create what we believe is the best uh, players in the game. And what was fun about this last this last tournament is we actually that was the first time we really used it with high level athletes and the top athletes were the ones that had the highest plus or minus. So that that was exciting for us. And that's why I wanted to really showcase it um, there. Uh, But, you know, as far as what people that people's reaction, yeah, it's 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 everything I expected. Right. You, 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 you go and you, and you explain the, the importance of using data um, and using these numbers to find a kid that comes through your club and see their entire footprint. Right. How they improved throughout and why Aleo Ohanesian is as good as he is, because in 10 years, if that kid ends up being a stud, no one's going to know what the hell he did. Right. I, I will. I'm going to be the only one that has data on him because I have last four years of his data. And, and unfortunately I'm not the one that, you know, that was with him all the time. Right. So as a club, you want to understand where are your players going? Why are they not improving? Let's fix that. Right. Let's make sure they're improving. And then when you get those great players, you have the footprints, how many games they're playing, what they were doing, what their stats were, what their swim times were. And now you can create this whole, um, this whole picture. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, we've gotten a lot of, you know, and I get it. If it's, if it's not broke, why fix it? Right. Coaches that are set in their ways and, you know, data, why, I don't need data. What is this combine or sort of money ball, right. You know, that kind of yeah. dynamic. Yeah. And I, and I totally understand it. Um, but what's going to happen is they're going to be forced to start to use it because the sport is parent driven, right. right? And all of a sudden <laughs> it's going to be one, it's going to be a Leo that's goes off and is a stud and, went through the challenge for the last four years and parents very involved. And all of a sudden you're going to start seeing clubs use it. And all of a sudden you're going to see parents going, Hey, that club is using data and analytics. Why aren't we, we're way behind times that coach, my college coach or a college coach asked me for my data and I don't have any what's going on. And that's where we're going to start to see the change. And that's where it has to be. Right. I mean, I, coaches are hard enough, man. I mean, we're not getting paid enough or you guys don't get paid enough. And, and uh, you got like, you know, multiple jobs and, and uh, you got a team to deal with. And so 
I think with time though, everyone's going to understand this. We're just trying to benefit the sport. And, and really the more data we have, the more, um, the more popular we can make the sport, right? The more sponsors we could possibly get for the sport. We can go to an ESPN and instead of just saying, Hey, there's another tournament here. We can go, Hey, there's a tournament. Yeah. There's only, you know, 2000 athletes, but uh, we will have this much data coming out of that tournament. It's like, Ooh, people are going to be looking at that. That shoots everyone's phone. Yeah. Let's sponsor that. Is that something that you've chased down already? The big media companies like you brought up ESPN, but uh, is that something that they are, that does drive their viewership or that they're interested in, in the sport, like in a sport like water polo? For sure. For sure. Right. I mean, you, you look at, you look at how, and, and, you know, we've been lucky enough to have contacts with ESPN and NBC and, and speaking with them and getting their, their hindsight as to how we should grow. But you look at how is, I mean, you look at lacrosse, right? Lacrosse back when, you know, when I played was that East coast and water polo was West coast and lacrosse has just taken over. They've taken over and, and they're on ESPN, you know, on Christmas day, they're going to be, there's a game on ESPN and now they have a professional league and you wonder why, and is the game that much more fun to watch? No, it's not. Is it filmed well? No, it's, it, it's, it's not really filmed well. What's the difference? God, they have all the stats, right? They have all the analytics. You're watching, you see it all. And that's, <clears throat> and, and, and even, a, even a cornhole, cornhole's on ESPN. I know, I noticed that. But as they throw it, you see, a, uh, you see a percentage in the air of their percentage of making the shot and how long the distance is. And they're talking about it. Water polo, it's like, you know, the guy, you know, he's swimming really fast and he throws the ball. How much more exciting would it be as an announcer? And, and you know, like I'm, I'm going to be my, first, my debut next year at the Olympics uh, with NBC. But how exciting is it that I, I'm going to be able to say, you know, Maggie, Maggie Steffens, I mean, she she can hold the equivalent of a motorcycle over her head for a minute. That's how strong this woman is in the in the you know, and all of a sudden you can start using all of these things. She's they're quicker out water polo athletes in 12 and a half meters without a push are quicker than every Olympic swimmer, including Michael Phelps, which I've raced against and beat in a 12 and a half in a five meter uh, race. Until he gets his feet working. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So like, you know, this makes the sport more exciting to talk about, which in in the end makes it more popular. I can't believe you got the Olympic gig and I did not. I guess my application (laughs) never got in front of NBC. That's going to be really fun. Like it's that I didn't know you were doing that. That's is uh, that's exciting, isn't it? Oh, it's really I'm I'm so excited. You know, I uh, I got you know, I got the call to, to go over and do kind of the trial. Um, and I, uh, I show up, I was so nervous, you know, it's just so weird. But yeah. Once, once you leave the sport, you know, nervousness turns to something else because you haven't done it for you, you know, so anything outside of waterfall, I get nervous about. So I'm all, all nervous. And all of a sudden, you know, they're telling me all these things and I'm like, Oh dear, I'm going to just totally fail. I put on the, the headphones and we start watching water polo, And then it's like, wait, wait, wait. So I just have to talk water polo. <laughs> This is amazing. <laughs> and then after it was, it was funny. They were like, that, that was really informative. Wow. <laughs> so this uh, is an audition, right? And so are you working with somebody that you would theoretically be working with in Japan or is it somebody else? And they're just trying to, or, or no one at all, actually. No. So I, I auditioned, uh, you know, essentially about a year ago, mm-hmm. I got the gig and now I've been working with them ever since. Um, 
So what's going to happen is I don't get to go to Tokyo, unfortunately. I'm going to be in a studio in uh, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, announcing it live, which uh, means that I'll be announcing from 11, 1 in the morning, 3 in the morning, all these wonderful times. Oh, but you're um, a young man, you can deal with that. I'm fine. I get to watch <laughs> Olympic water polo and commentate. I'm happy. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured you might have uh, actually asked for some advice from Wolf, who did it a couple years ago at the Olympics and was actually very good. You know, I think I wrote a piece on maybe tweaking a, a couple things. I think he was working with Emmerich, too. So that was spectacular because there's uh, at your last Olympics in Rio, I was watching the official Olympic feed. And they dragooned some Canadian guy who, who absolutely, it, it was painful to listen to that because, and I've said this publicly, so, because he just simply didn't know what was going on. And it was, uh, yeah. it, it, I had to turn off the sound, which is too bad because you're trying to hear what's going on in the game. So um, that's mm -hmm. super cool. Um, you uh, were on another podcast, How Dare You, uh, a couple months ago, all, all Access. And you were, I would say, if the word isn't critical, it's at least, um, you challenged what the sort of orthodoxy of water polo is with USA water polo in particular. And I will tell you that I've noticed that the, the data driven and the drill driven uh, training has trickled down to ODP immediately, like very, very quickly. Um, maybe you could, you could talk a little bit, or even if you're repeating yourself a little bit from the other uh, podcast about what, where are the shortcomings in the game that you see that you were trying to fix? I mean, you, you, you spoke specifically about uh, training players so that they're ready to play both at collegiate level and hopefully in Europe as well. But what's, what are the larger strategic issues that you, that you think uh, we have to face? Um, yeah, you know, that's a, it's a good question. I think, you know, I think uh, in, in general, our, our biggest hurdle is how do we get that water polo IQ that everyone else has, right? Physically, especially now, I think with the, with the data driven and we partnered with ODP uh, with the six, eight challenge. So we're going to see more and more data coming out of the, coming out of ODP, um, which is going to be great because now physically we can start across the board and get these 70,000 athletes and get more and more of them fundamentally sound, which gives them a bigger ceiling. Right. Um, but physically, you know, I don't think we're ever going to have a problem. It's the IQ. It's how do we get these kids thinking, breathing and understanding water polo. And one of my biggest criticisms of, of the sport and, you know, Jovan did what he needed to do to win. And now you're seeing a lot of coaches follow that suit, but are you developing smart water polo players you're not when you're joysticking them and making them run play after play after play um that is where we are at a crossroads right i i i've had this conversation with adam and Merrill and a lot of coaches i you know i almost i almost have gotten to the point where either we have to ban <laughs> you know the joysticking or at least show to parents the the how it, it limits their children from understanding what to do when you need to do it to feeling the sport, right? That water polo IQ, IQ where, you know, you see a, a guy scoring from four, you decide, hey, we're going to go opposite triangle on that guy on the six on five. We're going to leave the, the guy from five. That's just a natural reaction. Um, or we're going to just, we should just become play driven at the Olympic level. We should so just say, hey, 
everything plays. T- tell us a little more about that because that that's clear you have actual experience with athletes who've let's say and it's not to pick on USC or Yovan or whatever but it's a system it, it is a system at USC so you have probably seen athletes who've come out of that program who've trained with the national team and you've observed them what is it that their shortcomings are like how can you describe what it is that they're missing out on they can't think for themselves it, it was it was my last olympics and um, it was my last Olympics and, you know, uh, all of a sudden I'm training with a lot of these younger kids. And I remember specifically, and I'm not going to name names, but it's, it's a six in I'm at four and it's five wide and they hit opposite triangle and the post, the three post goes, uh, the three post goes in and the natural move is for five to slide in, catch the ball from six and shoot, <laughs> right? Like, what are you doing? Um, and I remember the response like, no, but this was a six in meant for four to pass the two. And I'm like, I decide <laughs> I'm four. I decide <laughs> if that ball goes to two. I decide where the ball goes. If right. they hit me in two's clothes, why would I throw it to two? And, and we had this discussion. I remember thinking, what is, what is happening? And, and then the progression of me trying to explain certain things to athletes was really interesting. It, it changed before, you know, with the, the 2012, the 2018, it's like, that, you know, Adam, Hey, uh, you know, Varales, Hey, you know, these guys are doing this. What do we do? All right, here's what we're going to do. This is going to work. Boom. Perfect. To, to like, okay, 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 okay. Here's so they are hitting here. So now you should be moving in, right? It's not coming naturally because it's okay. Coach, what are we doing? You're going to go here, 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 here. If that doesn't work, this is two, plan B, this is plan C. Done. We're going to do that over and over and over. And I'm going to yell at you from the pool deck to tell you every little thing that you do. So is it possible for an American who does not train in Europe to catch up? I mean, this is this is the sort of essential question, I think, is the, we're an enormously diverse country in the sense, just geographically, just alone. I mean, the, the European countries are just absolutely tiny compared to us. Um, yeah. it, is it, it even possible for us to get to that point unless we basically just parachute into Europe? So I, I, it is, it hundred percent is. There's two things. One is virtual reality, something we're working with. And I'm telling you, uh, next time I'm in Texas, I'll bring it. I'll show you I'm in the goggles. And as plays are going on, six on fives, I am, Maggie or myself, are telling you kind of where your eyes should be going, right? At the, at the four spot, what, what should you look at? A lot of people, a lot of people are thinking, um, a lot of people are thinking, you know, I, I look at the, the goal here. I look at the one spot or the two. Now the first thing you look at is the middle guy. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to look at because he di- dictates everything the five man's going to happen. So you look at the goalie, the middle guy, and after that, you're set. You, the, everything else is easy. But, you know, we're not taught that anymore. So virtual reality is a huge one. The other one for us that's been, that I think we need to start doing is stop scrimmaging and start controlled scrimmaging, right? There's a huge difference where you, you okay, you know, kids get all excited for scrimmaging and it's a shit show and they're not learning anything, right? It becomes one-on-one. Let's even start playing more three on three, four on four water polo where these kids, they, they can't hide on the wings. They have to play, 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 play. Um, and the controlled scrimmaging part 
comes where it's like, we are running this. It is a press only. You will be ejected in a zone. This is how you press. Go. One counter, stop. What did we do? And you got to keep doing that and doing it and over and over. And the more you talk to them, they're going to learn. They're going to learn. But right now it's, it's, you know, the fundamentals, it's pass, it's shoot, and then it's scrimmage. And we have too many stupid tournaments that mean nothing, but parents are forcing these, you know, coaches and clubs to go because they want their kid to win a 10 and under, you know, Texas invite, whatever, you know, uh, medal. And they're happy. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter. It's the fundamentals they have. Now they have a ceiling. Now we got to make them smart. How do we make them smart? We talk water polo to them. We put them in. We teach them awareness. There's a million drills where you can do that. And we control scrimmage. And if I'm, you know, honestly, if I'm, and I remember back, you you were LB guy too. Back in our day, it was play, it was, you know, practice, practice, practice. And then we would partner with clubs on a weekend. We would, I, I remember going like every other weekend with SoCal and we just play and not a tournament where you get one, maybe good game and you either get annihilated or annihilate the others. Yeah. I think, uh, I think back in the mid eighties, I swear, I remember we had, uh, I think weekly Wednesday night games, I think at Tustin high school and, and or Newport, I think on the weekends. That's right. And here, uh, your dad's predecessor, actually, Rick Jones at Wilson High School would take us over there so that we could get our butts kicked by guys like Alan Muchuar, national team guys, and just completely school you. And I keep telling my kids the, the easily the, the biggest and best lessons. The two best sources of information about water polo in my mind are really, really good players you're playing against and your older teammates or more experienced teammates. Like that's, that's how it comes about. I'm I'm curious about you because you're obviously you have an exceptional background. <clears throat> your your dad is a coach. Um, obviously, was a former national team coach, a, a Chinese national team coach, uh, so on and so forth. So, when did you know you were good? And and what I mean is, you're the one who just described that in Europe, there's you know this percentage of players are good. That's the way you put it. So that actually means something. It's not just sort of generic. So when did you? When did you go from a, a kid who's training in Long Beach to knowing that you were good, that you could play not just at Stanford, but internationally? I think more importantly is <clears throat> when I <clears throat> is when I knew I wasn't good. And I, and I know that that moment I was I was an eighth grader and my dad invited a, a team from Hungary to come train with us. And this one kid that we nicknamed Bucky, you know, we were mean older era uh kids and he scored we i think 12 goals in the first scrimmage on us um i same age i went to guard him try to shut him down albert garcia a good friend of mine who was good at that era tried to shut him down he annihilated us and we were the best 14 and under team we were the jo champion you know <laughs> like what and it was it, it was an eye-opener it made me realize god who cares about being good here? Like I want to be, I've always wanted to be great and I'm terrible. <laughs> like I can't shut down this eight up kid, my entire, my, my own age from another country. And he annihilated me and there's probably a lot more. And it wasn't just him. It was a lot more. And I remember what am I doing? So every practice, every practice from that point on was, I would think about him. I would think about 
the moment that I thought I was doing well in a practice or the moment that I thought practice was over, I would, I would do more. I would stay and do extra because I was thinking I have to do more than everyone here because those guys are already way better than me. So I have to keep doing more and more and more and more. And that never left uh, my mind. There has to be some point though, when you are playing professionally and you just brought up a lot of scenarios that are sort of tactically natural to you. You just know, like, this is what happens. And you know it in terms of in, in flexible ways. Like it's not rote. It's like this, this uh, scenario can produce several of these outcomes and your reactions are quick. When you started playing professionally, did it take you some time? It should have taken you some time. Maybe you didn't, but take you some time to sort of figure that out? Or was it more natural than you expected in hindsight? Give us a description of how that went. So the thing that I think separated myself from, from a lot were, was that I, it did come naturally to me at a younger age. And the reason being is I, I lived the European lifestyle per se, right? My dad coached me the way he's always coached, which is a very European slash Hungarian American style. Um, And I watched tons of games. He took me to every junior team practice, every Olympic team practice. I went to trips. I remember traveling with the junior team that had, you know, Chris Humbert, Chris Oding, all these guys on it, watching water polo. So I was, I was watching just as much water polo as, as these European kids do. And I was getting trained um, the same way. So my transition to European water polo, as far as the, the, the IQ part, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a cocky guy, but I was, I was ahead of the game. That's, that's, that's how I, I thrived over there. Physically is where I, I, I struggle, right? Like in, in Italy, it was different. Italy was more mentally because, you know, every day at the newspaper, was a huge, uh, you know, article of how bad I was if I didn't score three goals, right? So it's like, oh my goodness, what's happening? While in Croatia, Montenegro, that game just became so physical and so vertical, right? I'm, I'm such a counterattack drive player. That's, that's what I was, you know, bred, you know, born to do. And now all of a sudden I'm playing in a, in a zone where the first time I drove when I played for you, I remember the ball came, I got crashed on, I got two knees to the head, a punch to the face, and I looked up at a referee smiling at me and telling me, wave on, right? <laughs> and I go, oh dear, I can't drive over here. <laughs> um, so that helped me evolve. It helped me evolve as a player. Um, so yeah, I think there, there's, again, I, I went through it as an American and now there's so many more opportunities for kids to watch water polo. So I do think there's chance. I just think kids have to understand that they need to do it. I, I, I wouldn't have understood at a young age. It was my dad who secretly, you know, took me everywhere <laughs> and installed it in me. What did he tell you to watch? So you're watching a game and it's not unfair now because your water polo IQ is, is, you know, obviously far different than it was when you were younger, but when you're younger, what were you instructed or suggested to, to, to watch? And then how would you learn? So in other words, you could be watching the game strategically or following the ball or whatever, but maybe you had a different method. So what my dad would always, he, he, you know, 
he, it was never, he never like instructed me to do certain things, but he just wanted me to really fall in love with players because I think that's what we do in basketball, like in basketball or football, football for fantasy football reasons, probably, but like basketball, maybe you love LeBron James. So you're going to watch him more. And as you watch him over and over, um, he becomes your idol. And then you're going to watch more basketball because you want to watch every single thing he does. And then you're going to see the great things he does, which is going to essentially put that into your mind so you can repeat it. Um, So he'd tell me about players. So I'd watch, you know, Cuba play and Avon Perez was playing for Cuba. Then I remember this massive guy and I was never going to be a massive center, but I would watch him over and over. And I just remember thinking, this guy is just my idol. I mean, he's so huge. He's so strong. How would I shut him down? Like, what if I guarded him? Oh my God, we'd have to get in this zone, you know? Um, or I, Chris Oding, which, which, who's now the assistant of the women's national team, he was also one of my idols. I'd watch every little thing he'd do. Look at that great pass. Look at that shot. Um, and those, are, those, those eventually lead to you having a bigger water polo IQ. Interesting, because uh, it is... Um, I've only gotten into cutting up game film in the last couple of years, really as a coach. And it is such a different method than you would think in sort of in the past where it was just, you, you just observed the game almost as at a strategic level, but um, you could very easily um, learn an enormous amount by let's say just following one player offense, defense, like just both ends of the pool. So I'm, I'm, it's very cool to hear how, how it is that you came about that, but there's a strategic, speaking of strategy, there's a huge question that's out that we've sort of made reference to, which is, is there an American style and what is it and what maybe should it be? Because you know darn well about this endless debate about whether we should become Serbia or we should have the American style, whatever that might mean. You know, my theory is if you're always trying to be someone else, you're never going to know who you are, right? And I think that's where we, where we are. We're stuck, right? Women, women have a, they have a style. They have a, a, uh, um, a culture, a, a, a culture, right? If you look on the women's side, you understand amazing defense now, and, and every, every, you know, every Olympics, you see them change a little bit, but now you take an amazing defense to um, multiple girls that can post up, that can defend, right? I mean, you can easily watch the women's team and say, oh yeah, that's the American style. We don't have one on the men's side. And, and that's unfortunate. You know, I think every, every cycle we're changing, we think this is what it should be. We, we believe, you know, Serbia is the best or Hungary is the best or whatever it is. And honestly, they are hungry. I love hungry. Hungarian water polo is my favorite water polo. That's that's the water polo that I would, I think the U.S. is closest to. Why? Um, and I would, because of the counterattack, the movement, right? The aggressivity. But we're not Hungarian as well. So I think we can take a little bit of Croatia, a little bit of, you know, Serbia, a little bit of Hungary, but use what we have. We have, we have physical specimens we have speed, yeah. we have selfless play. Those are things that in Europe, they're, they're, they're harder to find. So if we can take a little bit of, of course, we need the Serbian legs. Of course, we need the, you know, the, 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 the Hungarian aggressivity or whatnot. But 
or, or, or uh, creativity, but we have to use what, we, what, we, what we're strong at, and that has been counterattack. I mean, you look back, the greatest coach in our, in our, in our history is Monty Niskowski. He's the greatest coach. He, he knew what we were. We were about picks. We were about counterattack, and that was over and over and over. And then you look at like a Dante. Man, Dante at practice, he was, he was no guru talking water polo. We just drilled counterattack over and over and over. And, yeah, you know, look at his success. He had some great players, right? I, I got to play for – but look at his success. It was, it was a – you played Stanford. You were going to get your ass countered over and over again nonstop and that's how it was and that's how you were successful but you now you play the u.s you don't know what you're going to get one day you may get a team i mean phenomenally guys like we talked about max but guys like hannes and and and, and luca and and uh and uh johnny hooper and ben halleck i mean look at that that's this is talent that is ridiculous but maybe maybe we could we could beat serbia by six and we'll lose to japan by seven Oh, you just brought up a team that I wanted to talk about. So I, I have that conversation with players all the time. And th- I'm talking international players and club players from, you know, from top to bottom. You, cause, cause you were the one who just mentioned about us being a counterattack team and that maybe we take a little bit of Hungary and we take a little bit of this. Do we take a lot of Japan also? Who's, I would argue may, maybe the most creative national team in, in the world, but you tell me if I'm wrong about that. 100%. They're, they're, they're maybe the only innovative team in the world, right? The Europeans, they, they're not innovative. They're just doing what they've done for years. And it, if, again, if it ain't broke, so I fix it, right? Um, Australia, U.S., everyone else is just kind of like, you know, we're, we're coming along. We're just trying to tweak here and there, but we're really not doing anything. And Japan goes, you know what? <laughs> we got to fix something. We're terrible. And all of a sudden, they're on the map, Right. I love their style. I think that coach, again, should be the, the, the water polo coach of the year every year for be, thinking outside of the box. Um, ultimately, is their style successful? No. Um, but I think, again, if I'm U.S., I'm taking portions of it. I think we can be more riskier. I think their defense can be a, a whole quarter. Why not? Like mix and match, right? If you can play that, then you can play an end, then you can play into a zone, then a normal hard press. Like this is really, this makes you so much more dynamic. But, um, but yeah, I, I think they, they did a great job for what they have. And I'll tell you, all it takes, all it takes is one big center to come <laughs> out of Japan and all of a sudden they're beating everyone. Uh, when I worked at the 84 Olympics, the Japanese were there. They were not the best team out of Asia, the Chinese were, but they had a guy named Jumbo who is, uh, uh, who is uh, actually apparently friends or something with my uh, age group coach back in the day. So he was huge, but they did not have. And if you haven't had a chance to see what the Japanese team looks like, uh, what you just said, Tony, is uh, to me hits it right on the head is they are high risk. And it is so fun to watch because as you've said, they they didn't they they don't have success against the big European teams, but they beat the U.S. They put a scare in teams like Hungary for at least a little while, and because they don't know what to do, like this, this is like a completely unconventional, extraordinarily high risk defense kind of play. Yeah, and again, again, I love it. I definitely have in, in, incorporated if I'm a coach to some aspect. If for anything, it's a great training method see that's something that they don't you don't realize about the japanese method is because it's so high risk 
you're taught to constantly be put out of position, right? So you're constantly having to recover and make up for being in a bad position. So you're actually, the training aspect of Japanese style is phenomenal because you're constantly behind on the, on a drive. You're, you're out of position on, a, on, on set D you're, you know, you're, you're constantly chasing somebody. You're constantly going after the ball and having to recover and steal the other way. You're jumping to, to see the ball. And you're also, your water polo IQ is higher because you're, you're having to make so many more decisions than just press. The easiest thing to do is press. Now, to run a complex zone, difficult. To run the Japanese style, difficult, right? Sitting there, grabbing a guy by the neck and fouling him over and over again is the easiest thing to do in water polo, and that's what our favorite thing to do here in the in, in the U.S. is. Yeah. Well, Tony, we've had you on here for almost an hour. It's been a pleasure. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for for joining us. Yeah. Thank you, James. LB Connection always. Long Beach City. Yeah, that's right. I tell people I'm from the home where Snoop is from, even though you know. <laughs> He was over there. We were over here. You know, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> thanks, Tony. All right. Thanks, James. Well, that's it. I think we're done for another week. Um, next week is New Year's week. We should have some, uh, we like to call it special. We were just joking about how much preparation we do for this, for this podcast, which is not much. We'll get online and talk about what we're going to talk about um, prior to it taking place. But next week, we'll do our year in review kind of thing, which is, like I said, I wonder what the big story is going to be. But we'll uh, we'll we'll go over that. We'll talk about other some you know more more uh, you know New Year's Eve kind of stuff. And I will be in Santa Fe, New Mexico, as uh, as I was a year ago. So um, we will do that next week. You have anything else, Joe? No, it's no, it's. I'm looking forward to next week and talk about kind of some of the big things. Yes, we'll talk about COVID, but we'll also talk about you know. Like the uh, Baytown, yeah, the Baytown Sterling boys and mm-hmm. girls that we had, that yeah, that won the Battle of Texas, Darn right? Right. And then the St. Marks, uh, that yeah, that won the program of Texas on the boys' side. You know, we have a lot of stuff to talk about next week. I mean, just in general, just all the tournaments that have happened. You know, the ups and downs of the rescheduling and this. I mean, it's it's almost comical now. Joe, best of Texas. It what was that? Forty five years ago. I mean, I just. Um, it's unbelievable how long ago that now seems. I, I went back and read this story, you know, on basically on the day that everything shut down, you know? And it, it's just so, anyway, so bizarre. And and I think I was in Santa Fe for that, too. I was. Yeah. Every, and then all, suddenly there's just nothing. It's just crazy. So, yeah, we'll have plenty of uh, reminiscence about that next week. But until then, thank you very much, Joe. All right. Take care, James. Merry Christmas to yeah. you. Happy holidays um, to everyone. Yep. Yeah, just happy holidays. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just travel safe. Yep, will do. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening, telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast. Um, special thanks to our fabulous donors. And uh, if you want to contribute to the cause, go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give. Until next week, so long from Austin.
has been a production of TWP Sports, LLC.